Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Everybody and welcome to episode number 148, as we've just discovered it is, of Linux in the Hamshack. I am your host, Russ K5TUX, coming to you from Studio 3D in southwestern Missouri. And we also have with us Pete VE2XPL from Montreal, up in Canada. Hey, Good day. Pete. I'm only, I'm only in 2D. You're only in 2D. I think we're only in one dimension audio. So <laughs> <laughs> No no, it's stereo. It's you know, dual 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 monaural. Dual yeah. Bi bi monaural audio or something like that. Bi bi monaural. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, is that a thing? I don't know. I don't think that's a thing. It is now. We just made it up. <laughs> All right. We also have Cheryl who's sitting across from me. Hello. Hello everyone. All right. So let's uh, get on with it. We're, we're, we have an episode to do, such as it is. It's been a while since we've actually done an episode, so hopefully this one is like a thing. And uh, I've been lax about getting episodes done, but they are all done. They are, they have all been posted. Everyone should be I saw that. En- enjoying all of our episodes. And you have no idea how crazy busy it has been here and, and all of the things that are going have been going on, and we will not go into that right now, but it, it's just been nutty, nutty. We'll have to thank Cheryl for uh, getting most of the content for tonight's show, and uh, hopefully, actually, we come out with uh, a full program, like from end to end, at some point. We will, and and since Cheryl's joined us, um, you know, she does a lot of the work, but you know, she does good work too because there's a lot of the stuff is actually really interesting. Yeah. Not that it wasn't that interesting before. <laughs> extra that, interesting. That's that right. So we'll we'll keep her working, and she can read this first story. Great. You, <laughs> yay me. Yeah, yay you. Aren't you glad you're here? Aren't you glad you filled in for us tonight? Yeah. Fil- yeah. Filled in? Great. Okay, whatever. Okay. Yeah, Pete and I are leaving. Yeah, uh, you go show. ahead and fi- the finish show. the show and uh, you know, just let us know just when let you're you done. Know. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> I see my Meet me at the corner bar there, Russ. We'll go for a beer. Oh, yeah. it sounds good. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Do I just stop at the corner bar and pick you guys up or what? So. As long as they have Guinness, I'm there. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, excellent. All right, cool. So our Thanks. next story is uh, vanity call sign regulatory fees are being eliminated. This is good news for those of us in the United States who want to get vanity call signs. Uh, the FCC is eliminating the regulatory fee to apply for an amateur radio vanity call, which was $21.40. Uh, the change will not go into effect, however, until required congressional notice has been given, which will take at least 90 days. Aw, well... <laughs> 90 days for Congress. That's pretty short, actually. As the commission explains in a notice of proposed rulemaking, report and order, MD docket 14-92, it's a matter of simple economics. The FCC says it spends more resources on processing the regulatory fees and issuing refunds than the amount of the regulatory fee payment. And then there's a little addendum here from Pete. Uh, It says, in Canada, you cannot get a vanity call sign. Boo, Canada. You can apply for a call sign that is available, choosing from a list. Sometimes the letter suits your fancy, i.e. XPL. But doesn't XPL mean ex-Pete Landry, so you're not Pete Landry anymore? Is that... 
Well, no, it's because you can't get two letters, you know, unless you're an advanced license, which I'm not. So I just kind of like the, the X sounds cool when you're saying X-ray, Papa Lima, saying X-ray in a call sign. For me, I just always thought that was the coolest thing. So I could have been like, you know, Papa Papa Lima or Alpha Papa Lima, you but I been, specifically uh, chose X for no reason except that it sounds cool. You should have chosen in Echo, head. Echo Papa Lima because then it's just a dot, you know, for, for Morse code. <laughs> I could have. Yep. If I would have known Morse code, then maybe I would have. <laughs> yeah. All right. So anyway, that's that's cool. Uh, good good for folks who are wanting to get their vanity call signs here in the U.S. It'll be a little cheaper for them. Very very good news. Yeah, and uh, Petro in the, in the in the chat room says that that's why he chose his call sign. He's uh, X-ray Mike X-ray, so I guess he likes the X too. So there you go. We're we're uh, we're together. On there that there is something about a call sign that has an X in it. It is kind of cool. So I he says he was thinking of X-Men Professor X X-ray did which you know why not <laughs> i have a call I sign triple x yeah there you go X-ray although those X-ray are probably X-ray. hard to come by i bet xxx goes pretty quick I, I also have a call sign with an x which is excellent it is excellent uh, excellent uh, uh, uh. yeah all right pete read our next story go for it and <laughs> <laughs> apps Ham logger, sorry, Mac logger DXHD VR 1.2.1 for iPad for all you fans out there has just been released. That's good news. Dog Park Software has announced that version 1.21 of Mac logger DXHD for the iPad has been released. Uh, Mac logger DX. HD is an amateur radio application that monitors the spots from your local DX cluster for DXing, contesting, or just casual rag chewing. Uh, it'll alert you to rare contacts or ban openings by looking up and displaying real-time propagation paths on a zoomable map. Uh, and it can log your contacts as a super-fast SQL database. MacLogger DXHD is, able, is available from the iTunes Store. Uh, more about the uh, more about it on the web. You can find the information at dogpucksoftware.com. It doesn't say if it's um, freeware or payware. I'm looking up to see how much it costs right now because I'm guessing it's probably not free. Not much in the App Store actually oh, is, especially on iTunes. Right. Right. Let's see. Hey, you can just I can just download it. No, there's no fee. There's no fee. It's free. Uh, I'm right on the dog. I'm on the dogparksoftware.com website, though. I'm not on iTunes. All right. An actual free app for Mac. Go, you can just go right to Dog Park Software. Screw iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a big fan of iTunes. I have nothing against it specifically. I just find it really heavy. Let me so see. MacLogger DX. I wonder if it will actually run on my Mac here, my, my non-iPad Mac. Uh, let's see. It requires OS X, so it will run on Mac. And Intel 64-bit processor. Well, let me let me try it and see what happens. I'm going to download it, and if the show goes away, you know what happened. <laughs> and you can you can actually get version uh, 5.62 beta. That's that's the one I'm actually awesome. downloading right now. So I'm hoping my my uh, little Mac Mini here that I'm actually broadcasting the show on will not explode in the next couple of minutes. Excellent. Real time action, folks. Only right. here. Real time downloads for your listening pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Cleric just asked in the uh, the chat room if anyone has compared MacLogger with Rumlog. I don't even know what Rumlog is. I don't know, but if it has anything to do with drinking, I'm I'm down. You're with there it. for yeah, it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it logs how many glasses of rum you take while you're having your DX. Oh yeah, that's you. probably not a good thing. 
Okay, I, I downloaded the beta image file, but I cannot seem to open it on my Mac. You haven't paid. Oh, I haven't yeah. paid? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure that's the reason. But... Joke. Well, we have a Online remaining day. iPad, but... Hey, it has it's a dead. long look at the world support, too. Wow. Hey, very nice. I think it's cool. Um, I'm looking at the, the screenshots of this, and they actually look like they... Okay, here we go. The beta one didn't open, but the regular one did. So let me see what, what happens here. If the, Like I said, if the show goes away, we'll be back. Uh, oh, okay, here we go. We've got it. We've got it. I found it. You have 15 minutes, Russ. I have 15 minutes? Yep, you have like... 15 minutes. There's a little note at the bottom of the page. Knocklogger DX must be registered to work beyond the 15-minute limit time limit. You could run the 15-minute demo as many times as you like. Uh, so we encourage you to download the free demo. Make sure that it meets your requirements before you register since we cannot issue refunds. Boo. Single user license, $95 US. $95. Holy crap. Why did we do this story? <laughs> Sorry. I just found it. That was cool. That's okay. That's okay. Well, Some people actually may be interested. Well, I'm actually but, uh, I'm looking yeah. at RumSoft or the RumLogger now thing. It actually looks good, and I don't see, not finding anything about cost yet. Oh, cool. Rumlog is from... Oh, no. Uh, $5. Rumlog... Well, $5 is better than $95. Yeah. Cleewick yeah. says Rumlog seems like, to be a pretty compressive logger. The same price. Comprehensive, excuse me, logger on the Mac. An iPad I encountered today. Uh, supported with contributions, though the iPad version is 5 bucks. Well, it's actually a pretty cool-looking logger, but I wouldn't spend $95 on it. That's for damn sure. Well, no. you should go to the rum logger. I wouldn't spend thing. on anything. Yeah. The rum logger looks pretty cool, too. Rum logger? I've bought cards it's, for less it's than dl 2 DL2RUM. Thomas Linda. In the Ritzbach. Yeah, you can use the same log file on your Mac. Exchange the logs via iTunes, file sharing, or Dropbox. Yeah, let's talk about that one here. I'm going to download that one right now since... Uh, All right. This let's is see. exciting. Rumlog Next Generation 1.1 or Rumlog? Let's, let's just go with the regular Rumlog since that's what we're talking about. Basic data exchange cool. with ICOM, Kenwood, Yezu, and Elecraft. Transceivers using the Pigtail hardware iPad only. Is that the Pigtail that uh, we've talked about before on the show? Maybe. By Pignology? Yeah, Pignology, yeah. <laughs> Yep, that's the one. That's the one. I'm looking at photos from the website, and uh, some guy's working on uh, some kind of wiring, and he's got a parrot next to him. And apparently they have Rumlog for Windows as well. All right. Well, I'm I'm waiting for Rumlog to open on my iMac, or not my iMac, my Mac Mini. Oh, there it is. Look at that. Hey. Hey, that's pretty cool looking. Wow, lots of options. This thing's got crazy options. We could spend two episodes talking about this thing. I'm looking at the screenshots, and it looks actually pretty... Uh... Under the Window tab, which shows like the, the various windows you can have open in Rumlog, the list actually scrolls off my screen. Net Control, DXCC Map, CQ, ITU Zones, WPX, U.S. Countries, German DOK List, Russian Districts, IOTA, DX Clusters, Packet DX Cluster, Band Maps, Sun Calculations, Sun Distance Tables, Gray Line Mapping... Man, this thing's nuts. All kinds of stuff. In it. How much is this thing? Five bucks? Five bucks. Wow. There's also RumPed, which is a de-expedition and contest logging tool for shortwave for the Mac. 
It supports de-expedition mode, major contests, and general contest mode for unsupported contests. You can create your own contest rules. Wow. This, this thing seems worth it if you're using a Mac for logging. It's got an amazing amount of features. Excellent. And uh, it also supports uh, EQSL, Logbook of the World, ADIF, Cabrillo, and it can Sorry. import RUMPED. So if you're using RUMPED, you can actually import it in that format into here as well, which only makes sense since it's uh, written by the same dude. Uh, this was uh, awesome. DL- Delta Lima 2 Romeo Uniform Mike, DL2RUM. It's also got Logbook of the World support, uh, yeah. MQTH and QRZ.com integration. Uh, it actually can track satellites, too. And it'll make your breakfast. Woo-hoo. Yeah, I bet it will. It does everything. That's <laughs> awesome. It, it does. Wow. It does, there's everything in there. All right. Anyway, I so. I to go out and buy a Mac just so I could try it. <laughs> there's another question. Get a Hackintosh. Do the Hackintosh thing. There's another question yeah. in the chat room about the difference between Debian and Linux Mint. Uh, district question, what's the difference between Debian and Linux Mint Debian? All right. Uh, we will get to that, Petro, later on in our segment that is not a segment yet. So, But he just gave you, you know. That's right. That's there. right. That's why I'm saying when we get there, we have we have content <laughs> now. So, All right. All right. So back with the show. Yeah, back to the show. Open source. Segment two. That's right. That was our whole first segment. Wow. Hey, or something. Are we finished the story? That was fun. I enjoyed that. <laughs> well, good. Hopefully, our listeners do too. Yeah, a ninety-five dollar app to a five dollar app. You yeah. can save money and have fun. Absolutely. All right, so we're going to move on to segment two, our open source segment, and we'll uh, do the first one. It says, "Warning: Don't download software from SourceForge if you can help it." Which is bad news because I download lots of software from SourceForge. I know. Uh, I was shocked because this is like one of my most trusted sites, or was right. Yeah, I was. I was shocked when I read this last night as well. So most, a lot of the sort, the actual source distribution stuff of things you download, um, you know, uh, for ham radio and for any other use, really, lots of it comes from SourceForge. So this may be disappointing to folks out there. Uh, SourceForge is abusing the trust that we and our users have put into their service in the past, according to the GIMP project. Since 2013, SourceForge has been bundling junkware along with their installers, sometimes without a a developer's permission. Don't download software from SourceForge if you can help it. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I would just be wary of it. I I wouldn't say just abandon SourceForge because they are a great uh, repository for software. Uh, many open source projects now host their installers elsewhere, and the versions on SourceForge may include junkware. If you absolutely have to download something from SourceForge, be extra careful. So, uh, okay, again, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pose the newbie question: How do I be extra careful? How do I know that there's junkware? Right. I'm not sure you can know it. I mean, because they're obviously not going to advertise it on SourceForge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Look, download this package and but, but it's, it's loaded just, with junkware. <laughs> yeah. The article says, "Be extra careful." How do I be extra careful? I'm not sure you like, can. I'm only going to find out once it's downloaded. Maybe the thing is, my my understanding of, in all of the things I've ever downloaded from SourceForge, when you download them, you're getting a direct link to the file itself that is posted there by the developer. And I'm not sure how they're bundling junkware in with it. But that being said, this was. Uh, Obtained from a hopefully credible site, howtogeek.com, and of course a link to the story will be there. So 
maybe they include some information on how to be extra vigilant about whether your download is going to contain junkware or not. Petro on the uh, VA2 MX XMX is saying uh, install in a virtual machine first. Would that be a good way to do it? I'm not sure because you'd have to install an entire operating system just to download a piece of software. And if you had one running just so you could make sure that you weren't installing junkware, then maybe it is a good option, but it's probably not an option for everybody. Uh, this apparently came out, came about because GIMP was being packaged with junkware, and that's why it came to light. But if I recall correctly, you can download GIMP from somewhere other than SourceForge. I would think. I mean, it's such a widespread thing, GIMP. I, I can't see why you wouldn't be. Like, I mean, you can't just be able to get it on SourceForge. It's not the only place where you can get that. No, it says when you... Um, when you not go to, that I've tried, but... When you go to GIMP.org, it says you can download GIMP from GIMP.org. If I can help it, I'll always get my software from the source rather than getting it from a repository. Right. That's my personal preference. No, and it makes sense because you're likely to get the most reasonable and uh, least infiltrated copy from the the true source of the software. Anyway, just be careful out there, and uh, if you're downloading stuff from SourceForge, uh, be as vigilant as you possibly can. Yeah, the question Ted's is this. asking... Uh, how do you know, do you who, know uplo- who uploaded a project to SourceForge? And I'm not sure you do know that, other than I, my understanding is that the owner of the project or and those who are allowed to be contributors to that project are the only ones who can submit files for download to SourceForge. Oh, so not everybody, like, I wouldn't be able to throw anything in there if I wanted to? Uh, you could for your own project. You have to log in and define your own project, but you would not be able to submit something for someone else's project. If you wrote some piece of software, do you give it to SourceForge to upload, or do you upload it? You upload it to SourceForge. Okay. So SourceForge doesn't have any control over it? I, I'm a little baffled yeah, by the story, so... My understanding is... it's who checks it out and makes sure it's okay and legit? I don't think that they do. I think SourceForge is just a repository for source code. I'm not sure that they do any vetting. Well, then how, who's bundling the junkware? Or is it just going to, in individual projects, maybe there's junkware, but it, it doesn't sound like the SourceForge people, quote-unquote, would be doing this. Well, it might be a fa- it, uh, something along the lines of you upload your software to SourceForge to be downloaded, and then their methodology for downloading software allows them to impose something on top of your source code. You know what I mean? It's okay, like yeah, yeah, okay. They have a they have a downloader or a download script or something, which adds the junkware to your download, even though you had nothing to do with it. Looking at the uh, article, I'm just kind of reading it diagonally, but it doesn't really say anything specific about the junkware. What does the junkware do besides being junk? Like, there's nothing specific, so I don't know. Anyways, it's always good to be cautious, anyhow, when you're installing something that you're not familiar with. I'm looking at the chat room; is actually kind of funny. V3 SRE popped in. And so the issue is around Windows versions of various software, which gets bundled with non-GPL software. So you can accept the GPL license, but don't accept any other licenses, and you won't get any of the crapware. And then Petro jumped in and said, forget SourceForge, trust CNET, and say yes to everything. Which, by the way, is a very bad idea, folks. <laughs> Do that. Well, CNET is one of those ones, if you're not really familiar, and you're just typing in whatever you're looking for, CNET is one of the top ones that comes up. So a lot of people would be using it anyways if they don't know yeah. any better no that's that's very true cnet and download.com and two cows and all those ones they, they yeah. bundle crapware all over the place Absolutely. So, but uh yeah just be vigilant folks that's what we're that's the message we're trying to send to you all right pete 
You can handle the next one. Emulator now runs x86 apps on all Raspberry Pi models. That's pretty cool. Altec's faster Exigear desktop software version now supports ARM v6 in addition to ARM v7, letting users run x letting users run x86 apps on all models of the Raspberry Pi. Woohoo! Woo. The key to the Pi 2 enhancements was that the software, which was previously optimized for Ubuntu or Ubuntu, as Richard likes to say, now fully supports Debian, including the W the Debian-based Raspbian. The host system can now Ubuntu 12.04 or higher, Debian 7 or Raspbian. The new release uh, has also added guest images for Ubuntu 12.04, Ubuntu 14.04, and Debian 7. In addition to supporting the Raspberry Pi, I'm holding my hands up in the air like I just don't care. The <laughs> software runs on Linux-based platforms, including Odroid. I'm not familiar with Odroid. QB uh, Boards, uh, CU Box, uh, Utilite, Jetson, TK1. Wow, there's a bunch of them, eh? OneBoard and Banana Pie. Banana Pie? I've never heard of that one either. Among others, Exegear Desktop can also run on an ARM-based Chromebook. Windows programs is possible by also installing the Wine emulator. Good old Wine. So uh, this was obtained from uh, Linux Gizmos. Uh, you can check that out at linuxgizmos.com. Uh, the article is called Emulator Now Runs x86 Apps on All Raspberry Pi Models. And the link will be in the show notes. Comments? Hang on. Getting through some jerky. <laughs> okay, okay. One thing about the Raspberry Pi and similar platforms that people not may not realize is the reason they run things like Debian and Ubuntu is because they're a few of the distributions out there that are actually for the ARM chipset. Most people probably think that the Raspberry Pi might be based on an Intel chipset and will just run everything out of the box, but it won't. It's based on ARM, and therefore that's why this emulator is handy because it allows you to run what more people would consider standard software or standard chipset software on the ARM processor. So that's very handy. This looks very cool, especially for the Raspberry Pi 2. I'm running an emulator on top of the original Pi doesn't sound like a, a good option for running software, but on top of a, you know, the quad core and higher spec options of the Pi 2 seems like this would be truly uh, handy. But of course, Raspbian, it's what I run on my Pi, and it's it's a great option. So if you just want to run something that's compiled natively for ARM, you, you can't really go wrong with that. What's Banana Pie? I don't know what the Banana Pie is. I'd never heard of that before. I mean, I know what a Banana Pie is. They're very yummy. Well, yeah. Banana huh? Cream Pie. Oh, my God. I'm making myself <laughs> three. Beef jerky. Banana Cream Pie. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, well, look. I look like up Banana Pie to and me. what comes up? Banana cream pie <laughs> recipe from food.com. Screw you. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the bad thing in our house because Russ only eats apple pie. And that is one apple pie I good, don't and like. It's all American. Banana is- pie, a $57 raspberry pie clone with a faster CPU. Faster CPU, more memory. There's no shortage of single-board, low-power computers on the market these days, but several years after launch of the Raspberry Pi, it's still probably the most popular. While the Raspberry Pi features 700 megahertz single-core Broadcom processor, an ARM2, ARM, ARM11 processor, ARM2 processor, the, the Banana Pi has a 1 gigahertz all-winner A20 dual-core ARM Cortex-A7 processor. Ooh. Ah. Uh, the Banana the Banana Pi has one gig of RAM uh, for the 512 megs of uh, the Raspberry Pi. The Banana 
My features an SD card slot, HDMI and composite video jacks, 3.5 millimeter audio jack, and built-in microphone. Gigabit Ethernet, two USB 2.0 port, micro USB port for power, and IR receiver. And IR and Raspberry Pi compatible headers, uh, including a 26-pin header, camera connector, and more. Wow. Hey, this is pretty cool. It is pretty cool, although I believe the Raspberry Pi 2B that has just come out is actually faster, has more processor, uh, and more USB slots than the Banana Pi because it's based on the original Raspberry Pi, whereas the 2B is uh, more robust even than this. So forget the Banana Pi. Just get the Pi 2B. The Raspberry Pi 2B. Well, this article dates back to uh, the 21st of April, so... It's a couple of months old. Yeah, the 2B has a 900 meg quad-core ARM Cortex-A7 CPU, 1 gig of RAM, 4 USB, 40 GPIO pins, full HDMI port, Ethernet, 3.5 millimeter audio jack and composite video, camera interface, display interface, micro SD card slot, and a video core IV 3D graphics core. There's no shortage of single board, you know, computers out there. Just pick the one that works for you. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, the, the, that's the nice thing. There's there's so many choices. You know, less expensive, more expensive, different features. There's just something for everyone. It's awesome. And for those who don't understand technology, permits me to keep myself employed. Thank you <laughs> to those people. <laughs> How Pete makes his living, yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. So moving on and skipping one story. The story we're going to skip will be in the show notes, so you can check that out. Uh, but we're going to move on to the private Linux cloud server for 89 bucks, which also streams media. Uh, an $89 peer-to-peer Breeze private file server on Kickstarter features four USB 3 ports, a gig Ethernet port, 256-bit AES encryption, mobile support, and media streaming. The Dutch startup Breeze, which is Bravo Romeo Echo Alpha, Echo Alpha Sierra Echo, is more than halfway to the goal on their Kickstarter of $90,000 to fund this private file server. The packages are available through June 16th, uh, starting at 89 bucks or 119 for the functionally identical Black Thunder edition. Yeah, there you go. Uh, both of which ship in February of 2016. Internally identical anodized aluminum Onyx edition goes for $199. Uh, but ships earlier in uh, December of this year. And that, again, is from linuxgizmos.com. This is kind of interesting. And what was interesting is when I looked at that article, it also mentioned some other media servers that have are, that are actually already in production or are uh, about to be in production based on other Kickstarter projects. Some of them are pretty cool. This This particular one that we're talking about, The Breeze, actually doesn't have any built-in storage you have to attach storage to it via usb or whatever uh some of the other ones that were mentioned in the article uh and are linked to from there actually have their own built-in storage some of them uh, a terabyte or more of built-in storage and and doing like encrypted media distribution and stuff like that so if you're into these little uh self-contained streaming media units uh, check out the article, which the link will be in the show notes at linuxgizmos.com is where it's from, and it'll be in our show notes. If you're looking into just uh, file serving and hosting in your local LAN environment uh, and being able to stream video to your home devices and wirelessly and whatnot, some of these are, are pretty neat. 
So moving on from our open source discussion into Linux and the ham shack, this is where our show is a little light this week, but we do have a couple of topics. Uh, the first one is one I found a little while ago while I was looking around for topics to talk about tonight, and it's a YouTube video on how to find ham radio software for Linux, Mint, and Ubuntu. Uh, it's a short video. I think it's only about 17 minutes long, maybe a little less than that. So it's a quick nine, watch. Nine minutes and 18. Oh, it's it's less than 10 minutes. Okay, yeah. So just gives you a, a good overview and a step-by-step walkthrough of how to go into the software manager and specifically find ham radio software if you happen to be using a uh, Debian Linux Mint or Ubuntu-based distribution that uh, has the software center and uh, gives you access to finding software using that method. Uh, and it actually goes into a little bit of the theory behind uh, software centers and software management, uh, as well as actually doing the searching for software specifically for ham radio, which is kind of handy, and all encapsulated in a video less than 10 minutes long. If this is something you've been wondering about, or um, you know, if you're really new to the show and you're just kind of catching up and trying to figure out how how the best way is for you to uh, find software for your computer, if you're not using a ham radio specific distribution like Shackbox or you know Andy's Ham Radio Linux or something like that, uh, this might be a, a good resource for you to check out. I actually watched the first few minutes of it. And uh, I thought it would be a great resource for uh, beginners getting into using Linux for ham radio. So link to it will be in the show notes, as always. Uh, I would read it to you, but it's one of those crazy YouTube URLs, which I'm not going to bother with. All right. What was the thing we were supposed to talk about during this segment? The Debian versus oh, Linux, Linux Mint Debian. That's yeah. right. The The question from Petro earlier uh, in the chat room was, what's the difference between Debian and Linux Mint Debian? Back early on, there was a fairly sizable difference because Linux Mint Debian was based on Debian. In other words, you had access to all of the Debian repositories, but then all of the software that made up the Mate desktop and all of the visual enhancements that were created by the Linux Mint team were added on as a repository on top of Debian and then presented as Linux Mint Debian. So you had all of the prettified versions of the Mate desktop and all of the software that was written by Linux Mint packaged with the standard Debian repositories at the same time. So you had basically an amalgam of those two distributions. Now, however, Mate, since it's sort of been released separately by the Linux Mint team is actually included in the Jesse or 8.0 or 8.1.0 as it's recently been released of Debian. So you can actually get Mate and the visual enhancements of Linux Mint on Debian just by installing Debian now. So you don't have to use Linux Mint Debian anymore. And I would probably recommend that you don't do that. If you just want the visual enhancements of the Mate desktop, just install the 8.1 version of Debian. If you're actually looking for their enhancements on top of the Ubuntu platform, that is the core of what Linux Mint was based on and is still based on. So Linux Mint, as it's going forward, is still based on Ubuntu. And if you want all of the features of Ubuntu and the Linux Mint enhancements, download Linux Mint. If you just want what Mate brings to the table on top of Debian, just download Debian. 
because the the latest installers of Debian allow you to install all kinds of desktop environments, including F- XFCE, LXDE, KDE, GNOME 3, Mate, and so on and so forth. And you only need to use stock Debian in order to do that. So if that's the way you want to go, I would recommend just using Debian. If you want the features of Ubuntu, including PPA support, uh, extended driver support, support for non-free software uh, beyond the scope of the repositories of what Debian provides, then use Linux Mint. Both are good options, and both are fully functional. It just depends on which philosophy you want to go with. But that, to me, is what I believe the difference is, uh, the narrowing difference between Linux Mint Debian and vanilla Debian, if you want to call it that. They're getting much closer together, and I would recommend just using Debian at this point. There's a comment in the chat room from V3SRE who says, running SolidX, S-O-L-Y-D-X, on the machine I'm typing on, it's what used to be Linux Mint Debian Edition with XFCE desktop. So if you like uh, LX, I'm sorry, if you like XFCE on top of your LMDE, you can just run SolidX. And if you really like acronyms, then you should do that. (laughs) 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 Okay. All right. Well, seeing no more topics being presented in the chat room, I believe we are ready to move on to our music segment for tonight. Well, I will say that this music selection came to me about five minutes before the show, and I have actually not listened to the entire song. So this could be interesting. It's a little different than the music we normally play here. It's kind of a rock, pop, electronica kind of thing. It's not really dubstep, but it's along those lines. But what I heard of the first minute or so of this song, actually, I liked a whole lot. So uh, we're going to play yeah, it. Yeah, you got to be careful because sometimes that could go horribly wrong. And I always skip through the whole thing even though I don't listen to it. But sometimes it starts off awesome and then it ends really horribly. Right. And this song is a little <laughs> over five. Versa. That's true. This song is a little over five minutes long. So it could go straight to hell after a minute and a half. I don't know. We're going to find out together. <laughs> it's a song called War Inside by Dilo. From the album Screwed, which, uh, I don't know, that gives me hope. Uh, courtesy or it could of Jamenda. go very, very yeah, wrong. That's right. <laughs> either, either Screwed is very clever or we're all just screwed. Anyway, this was released uh, several years ago, actually, in July of 2007. Hopefully the rest of you will enjoy it and we're, like I say, all going to find out together. We'll be back in about five minutes to see if we really liked it or not.
Okay, was it good? I didn't hear any of it. Because you, you're fixing you? cocktails. I, yeah, I was making drinks. All righty then. No, that was all right. It was. Uh, it, it actually kind of reminded me of Defoe. A little bit, yeah. When. Okay, well, I didn't hear it other than the bit I heard at the beginning, so... Yeah, well, there were lyrics, so, but they were good. Well, Bill in the chat room says it was pretty good, so there, that's that's three resounding maybes. <laughs> See, it, wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been my choice, but uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was all right. All right, good deal. Well, I'm glad it was, you know, at least moderately okay, and I'll, I'm, I'll enjoy listening to the rest of it at some point, I'm sure, probably when I re-listen to this episode. <clears throat> so we have some feedback that I need to get to and some announcements. Well, let me start with the announcements real quick. Daryl KI4LLA will be our ambassador at the Southeast Linux Fest. If you get a chance to go there, you should do that. And at the Roanoke Ham right. Fest. So uh, if you happen to be in the Roanoke area, that's in Virginia, for those people who don't know, uh, we will also have Daryl as our ambassador there. So very cool. Thank you, Daryl, for taking on that responsibility and for representing Linux in the Ham Shack uh, at a ham fest and a Linux fest. That's very cool. Uh, let's see what else we have in the in the world of announcements. Oh yes, there is this. The Ohio Linux Fest is looking for presentations. The call for participation is open, and the deadline for submissions is the seventeenth of July. So you do have some time. But if you want to be a presenter at the Ohio Linux Fest, you can do that. And that, of course, is in Columbus, Ohio. The Ohio Linux Fest has actually been going since 2003. This is actually the 13th year for the Ohio Linux Fest. That's pretty cool. Lucky number 13. Yep, Excellent. lucky number 13. And I uh, have actually presented at Ohio Linux Fest. So you can present, too, if you want to. Just have to submit that presentation by the 17th for consideration. And then, uh, you know, go ahead and attend Ohio Linux Fest, even if you don't get to speak, because it's a very cool conference. You have also presented itself. I did present itself as well. I have been a presenter back when we could actually go to all these conferences. Yeah, for those that, that aren't going to make it to self but kind of want to check everything out, they're offering a front porch mode this year, which is featuring live streaming coverage and interviews by Jupiter Broadcasting. Oh, Jupiter Broadcasting, those idiots. Yeah, links and update to presentations <laughs> as they go live on YouTube. That, that'll get me in good with them. Hashtag so. feed. <laughs> And hilarious hashtag collision, IRC, and boss buttons. The links will go up a few days before the event, so stay tuned to our media, social media, or subscribe to our low traffic announcement mailing list, which is on their website. Yeah, so. and I would like to state at this point that I do not believe the Jupiter Broadcasting folks are idiots. I actually do listen to their shows, particularly Linux Action Show. Yeah, I, I actually do listen to that or watch that one. My understanding is that they're actually going to be at Self and that Daryl was going to actually try and go over there and, you know, kind of talk up Linux in the Hamshack while he was there. Uh, we'll see how that works out. I don't, I don't get a chance to watch video podcasts a lot, and the Linux Action Show is actually a, a video podcast. They do release an audio version of it. So they record video and audio and then release either or kind of thing? Yeah, they, they record both and release both. So you, do they record, are, are both recorded? Are they recording a show that's video and audio and then you could choose to just listen to the MP3 or the AUG or like is it the same show? No, it's, it's, it's the like same show. In time. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's the same show, so you do lose a little bit if you're listening to the audio version. Just the audio, yeah, okay. Yeah. They also have their app out on various platforms like the Roku, so if you have a Roku or other streaming media device, um, you can get to Jupiter Broadcasting and all of their programs uh, via those methods as well. We also have other uh, feedback, and we have uh, some feedback here uh, via Google Plus from Petro, who is in the chat room tonight. He says, uh, Russ, you are clearly a full-on Debian guy. That's that's quite true. He says, I've been using Fedora myself for more than two years. All of the distro, uh, sorry, of all the distros out there, why do you pick Debian? Why not Fedora or Ubuntu or SUSE? Just curious. By the way, if you're ever in Montreal, pancakes on me. I'm there. Anyway, there actually is a question in this post, and that's why did I pick Debian as opposed to Fedora or Ubuntu or SUSE? I think it's largely a case of what you start with. I, I think that happens to most folks is that what you start with is what you get familiar with, and then that's what you gravitate towards over time. But honestly, as time has gone on, I have tried flavors of Linux of every kind. I've tried Arch. I have tried Slackware. I've tried Fedora. I've tried Red Hat. I've tried SUSE. I've tried a million variations of all of them. And what it comes down to is no matter how many of them I try, it just seems like Debian is always the most stable, always has access to the broadest array of software and seems to work on any machine I put it on, no matter what, whether it's high performance, low performance, proprietary hardware, open hardware, it doesn't seem to matter. Everything I've ever tried, Debian just seems to work best on. I have much easier access to all of the software and the software repositories on Debian than any of the other software. Now, I know that most of those repositories are available in distributions like Ubuntu, but Ubuntu is run and managed and developed by Canonical, and they have some bizarre ideas of what software and what Linux should look like. So that's why I haven't been real interested in the direction that Ubuntu has gone. I ran and still do run versions of Red Hat, both Scientific Linux and Fedora, and also CentOS. Um, I do that in production environments because... Sometimes production software or commercial software is only released and packaged for distributions based on RPMs like Red Hat, CentOS, and Scientific. And so for those, I will happily run those versions of Linux. But what I feel most comfortable with and what is most stable and works on the most hardware for me has always been, and presumably always will be, Debian. And that's why I am a hardcore Debian user. So, And I know that other people will probably feel the same way about Red Hat, or feel the same way about Fedora, or Arch, or Slackware, or any number of other distributions out there. But yes, I am a Debian head from the very beginning, and presumably always will be. I, I started with Ubuntu, this was the first thing that I was introduced to. And I really wasn't that impressed with it. I found it looked really clunky. I, can't, I really can't remember which version, but uh, say about six years ago. And I, I thought it looked clunky and chunky and just wasn't you know, as user-friendly as I like. Then I was introduced to Mint and, and I was sold on Mint and that's what I recommend. And I've tried different things, different flavors, uh, 
back and forth. And I find Mint is is very user friendly, so I usually recommend it. And we've said this on the show plenty of times. I usually recommend it to most uh, people that I introduce uh, Mint to, especially for those people coming from uh, Mac and, and, and Windows who aren't really familiar with Linux because it, it's just very easy and very user-friendly and, and the environment is familiar and very intuitive. Uh, you know, I, I've tried Harv's Hamshack Hacks and I've tried um, Crunchbang. I'm a really big fan of Crunchbang, but I, I kind of keep coming back to Mint a little bit out of laziness because it's just easy and, and it works. Well, let's move on. We got a bunch of feedback here from uh, Johnny, N4JEK, November 4, Juliet Echo Kilo. Uh, he says, thanks, Russ. I appreciate you taking the time to answer my question about loggers. Uh, he says, I guess until I actually see a contest logger in action, some of what you said may make more sense to me. You see, I don't have or own a copy of Windows, so I can't try the Windows loggers to see what they have. Anyway, I'm sure you will share once you find a good contest logger. I think we've already shared that uh, YFK test and O-Tushnak are, are, are both very good contest loggers. They don't have all of the features like the N3MM and some of the other Windows uh, contest loggers, but they are very, very good, and I would recommend them. Uh, YFK test for its simplicity and Tushnak for its sheer uh, ridiculous number of features. He also says, for those that are interested in how to add TAMQTH search bar to Mozilla, uh, you can check out this link. It's at lifehacker.com, and of course that link will be in the show notes. He's got a bit of code. You can actually create um, a Firefox plugin or a Chrome plugin uh, that will allow you to have a search bar in your browser for doing HamQTH lookups without actually having to go to the website. And it's basically just a, some simple XML code that you have to cut and paste. Uh, very simple. And, of course, the lifehacker.com link will show you uh, all you need to know to do that. So you can check out the comments on the article for the episode release uh, 147 over on Linux in the Hamshack and see all of the code posted there. And, of course, in the show notes will be the link to the actual article on uh, how to do that. Thanks again to uh, Johnny and for J.E.K. for uh, your feedback on the show. We really appreciate it. We also got some, a bit of feedback uh, via Google Plus from Ben Schram. Uh, he's an Aussie who's actually been on the show. Uh, and he said, hi, Russ and Cheryl. Uh, he didn't address Pete, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick that in there anyway. Uh, I hope you're both doing well. It's been a while since I was last in contact. I have just listened to the LHS episode number 145, and you mentioned that you had purchased and tried out an RTL SDR, which indeed I have. I, too, have tried to get web radio. I managed to compile it, install it, and get it to run, but accessing the web page portal on the host or another client wouldn't load the UI controls. I could hear background noise, but controls or display was not functioning at all. However, I have had massive success with the following software and setups. Other cool radio Linuxy stuff I have played with and recommend are Direwolf for Linux to encode and decode APRS using any radio's audio output to a system sound card, uh, I2C, serial, etc., which you can find that at home.comcast.net stroke tilde WB2OSZ, Whiskey Bravo 2, Oscar Sierra Zulu, slash site. Uh, and he had great success in using a Baofeng UV5R Plus connecting through an easy digi by KF5INZ 
Kilo Fox 5 India November Zulu. Uh, then the mic and speaker output to a USB sound card on a Raspberry Pi B. Thanks for writing about that. And uh, any information that's included in this about uh, APRS and RTLSDR, I will make sure that gets posted in the show notes so everyone has access to. And uh, thanks for the feedback, Ben. It has been a while since we've talked to you, but uh, it's good to hear from you, my friend. That is actually all of the feedback that I have. So let's go ahead and move on from our announcements and feedbacks, and we'll send it over to Cheryl for Cheryl's Recipe Corner. Raspberry Pi to Lemonade Pi. Lemonade Pi. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is better than Banana Pie. Uh, I don't know. Banana pie is pretty damn good. Yeah, banana pie is really good. Yeah. So anyway, the uh, the recipe that I pick this week is something I tend to uh, fall back on in the summer because the heat and the humidity in Missouri can be just outrageous. This is something super quick to do. It takes five minutes to whip it up. Uh, no baking required. The recipe that I actually posted is for a lemonade pie which uses lemonade, frozen lemonade concentrate, sweetened condensed milk, frozen whip topping, which... Just call it Cool Whip. Cool Whip, yeah. <laughs> and a graham, graham cracker pie crust, which you can make, make your own or do pre-made. I always buy it off the shelf. You just thaw your concentrate and mix everything together. And if you don't want lemonade, you can do pink lemonade. You can use uh, frozen limeade. You can buy orange juice. You can buy grape juice. As long as it's frozen, that's all you awesome. need. Yeah. And it says it yields six to eight servings or one. Anyway, social <laughs> media roundup. Go for it. All right. On the social media roundup, donations and subscriptions part department, we have Bill Arcan for monthly, Scott Pettigrew for monthly, Steve Conklin for monthly, Jeremy Hall for monthly, and Edward Donnelly for yearly, and he is a new person yay. yay we have doug parsons and washy 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 on facebook washy 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 yeah <laughs> <laughs> google plus with Ser- sergio duran jim kde and gisnu bala i'm massacring names here um on twitter is kj zero jk in the chat room as we speak yes VK4DAA, Sergio E. Duran 1, R O A L U G, which is probably Roanoke Lug, I'm going to. Uh, R O A Lug for sure. Yeah. yeah. And David Rowe. Like a Linux user group? Sorry. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Yes, probably. David Woronka. And on YouTube, we had WA5SWT. Nobody joined the mailing list. Nobody bought anything. So. Which brings me back to the fact that there were some major problems with the website uh, I noticed a few days ago, which have subsequently been fixed, particularly the uh, the right column ad, the Google Sense ad that's supposed to be on the right the right column of the website, probably rendered properly for some people, but didn't render properly for other people. Uh, but that should be fixed now. Uh, anyway, if you want to check out the website, there's all of that. But anyway, unless we've got anything else to talk about or if there's any uh, discussion in the chat room that needs to be brought into the show, I'm uh, probably getting ready to push some buttons and get us on out of here at long last. Roa Lug <laughs> is actually the Roanoke Linux user group. So. All right. That sounds good. Go. There you go. 
Bill says, we're on to booze now. Well, sorry, Bill, you're a little late. I've been on to booze for the last two and a half hours. <laughs> I've been on the booze since episode one. Uh, I've been boozing it up since I was 18. Uh, I mean, 21. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you started so late. Yeah, yeah. So with that, I'm going to push some buttons, and I guess we're going to get on out of here. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, outro starts now. Oh, look, there it is. How about that? Let's listen to the music for a second. <laughs> All right, anybody who's listening to this at this point, if you want to find out about the show, the best place is at our website, lhspodcast.info. And like Daryl did, you can become an LHS ambassador and represent us at a local ham fest or Linux con near you. For more information, just check out the website, check out the schedule of events on there, or email us at ambassadors at lhspodcast.info. You can also email us at info at lhspodcast.info if you want to leave us a comment, or you can leave a comment via voicemail at one nine zero nine lhs show That's one nine zero nine five four seven seven four six nine. You can chat with other listeners of the show on our IRC channel. That's Pound LHS Podcast. That's the Pound Sign LHS Podcast over on the Freenode Network. Uh, you can subscribe to our mailing list. It's a low-volume mailing list, and we send out important information about the show and announcements about various things, upcoming events, and upcoming contests, which you might want to be a part of. Show merchandise from our show can be purchased at cafepress.com slash lhspodcast and printfection.com slash lhspodcast. And uh, some of those purchases actually help out the show. You can also help out the show by clicking on the sponsored ads in the right-hand column of the homepage. We broadcast every other Monday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. That's 0200 Zulu early Tuesday mornings. The recording schedule and countdown timer are on the website, as is all the information you ever want to know about the show, lhspodcast.info. Thank you to all of our listeners, live, quasi-live, past, present, and future. We appreciate each and every one of you and hope to hear from you in feedback or in the chat room during our live broadcasts. And that's about it for us. So for Cheryl, who's sitting across from me, for Pete, V2XPL up in Montreal, and for me, Russ, K5TUX, broadcasting live from Studio 3D in southwest Missouri. Thank you for listening to episode number 148 of Linux in the Ham Shack. We'll catch you all in actually one week's time this time. And uh, hope to hear from you all soon. Thanks for listening. Catch you later. Bye-bye. See you next week. Bye. You don't have to be mentally deficient to do this job, but it sure helps. <laughs> <laughs>